0: It's time for the moment you've been waiting for. You're listening to Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now crank it
1: up and rip the knob. Boy, that escalated quickly. Podcast partner of PhillyAsFlyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. I am your host, Mark Gino. Join with me, as always, my partner in crime, one of the smartest hockey people I know, and that's Dan Silver. Dan, what's going on down in the nation's capital today?
2: Uh, some thunderstorms rolling through here, but uh, but man, this is a great week to be a hockey fan and a Flyers fan. I mean, compared to, to the past years where it was kind of like all we were looking forward to was the draft. Now we've got all this movement from uh, Chucky 2 trades. It's, it's uh, man, it's, it's going to be a really exciting week.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, obviously it all started off a few weeks ago, but then the big news coming down uh, last Friday and then Saturday, another move being made. We'll get into all the recent goings on with the Flyers as far as their roster is currently constructed. Um, But obviously the draft is on Friday, and well, it starts on Friday, and we have one of the best NHL prospect guys in the business from the Athletic. We've had him before, we're happy to have him again, Mr. Alex Appleyard. Alex, what's going on?
0: I'm very happy to be here. Uh, the weather over in England right now, where I am for a few weeks, is probably equally atrocious. Um, but yeah, it's been a been an interesting week in Flyers land, and obviously with the draft coming up, it's only going to get more interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, this is the most exciting time of, well... Yeah, I mean, this is really kind of starts it off. It's like the week leading up to the draft, you start seeing some movement, and then obviously July first, free agency starts. Everything starts going haywire from there. Um, so, I mean, we'll just kind of get right into it. And I, I don't remember the exact date. It's probably like a month month ago a couple of weeks ago at this point Um, the big move and what was great about the first move the Flyers made this offseason was we kept saying how it needed to be an aggressive offseason and Chuck Fletcher went and got aggressive traded a fifth round pick to Winnipeg for Kevin Hayes who is one of the top 10 free agents that's going to be on the market and the Flyers now have the rights to him they can negotiate with him early try to get him locked up before other teams have a chance to talk to him um so Dan, I'll start with you. I mean, when the trade came down, you're always going to get people that are pissed off about pretty much anything. The Flyers gave up next to nothing for a guy that, um, you know, it, it fills a position of need in that second line center. So Kevin Hayes, technically on the Flyers right now, not yet locked up to a contract. What do you think of Hayes? What do you think of the move as a whole?
2: Yeah, this was a great trade. Trade. It kind of signaled that that Chuck Fletcher wasn't on his hands be aggressive and try and get things done and it's it's not very common in today's nhl that a team will trade for a player's rights just to get the the upper hand and the head start on negotiating with the player but they wanted kevin hayes and they went out and got his rights and it hasn't really worked out yet the way that i was hoping you know you'd hope that they would have had him signed by now um but kevin hayes is exactly the kind of guy that i wanted them to go after there aren't too many second line centers available uh, you're talking about maybe him and duchene are really the only two guys in the unrestricted free agent market that are available if you want to look at restricted free agents there's a couple guys and maybe some trade targets and and joe pavelski now may be available with the eric carlson signing in, in san jose but a lot of flyers fans I don't, I don't think anyone was upset that we gave up a fifth-round pick. I think some people were upset because there's a, a contingent of Flyers fans that, that don't like Kevin Hayes. I think a lot of people are fixated on his stats and the fact that he hasn't put up gaudy numbers, mm-hmm. whereas I see him as a, an all-around hockey player who's very good in the defensive zone. And you're talking about maybe having him on a line with guys like Jake Voracek who's a lot more offensive than defensive, and James Van Riemsdyk, who's, again, another guy who you're not really counting on on the penalty kill and to play defense. And I think a guy like Kevin Hayes slots in perfectly with the Flyers. He just turned 27 years old, and they might have to overpay to get him. You know, last week there was some talk about how the Flyers weren't his first choice. That was maybe some posturing on the part of his agent. Today, Frank Saravalli uh, from... The uh, the sporting news came out and said that it sounds like they may be getting close to getting a deal done, so that was exciting. But I'm uh, I, I'm very bullish on the Kevin Hayes trade for his rights, and I'm hoping they can sign him.
1: Yeah, I mean, Alex, how do I mean? Because I, when I say that people were upset, I mean I saw some people just people didn't understand why. They went ahead and did this for a non-guaranteed thing, but and it's like I said, you you wanted them to make an aggressive move, and this is about as aggressive as it gets, other than you know that they could do right now, getting a guy's rights. And you're Dan, you're right, you don't see it all the time, so it was great to see Alex. What did you What do you think of Kevin Hayes? I mean, where does he? Obviously, you know where he would slide into the lineup, but what does he bring to this lineup that the Flyers previously didn't have, skill-wise?
0: Well, I think really the Flyers have been arguably looking for a legitimate second-line centre since probably 2011-12. They tried filling in with Shen there, and obviously he's now had success with St. Louis, but he never really had success at centre uh, for a for a long term uh, with the Flyers. They tried Vinny Le Cavalier, and obviously he had his back injury, declined enormously. Um, they tried Valtteri Filippola, and that was kind of... His, he was good initially and then kind of fell off a cliff. Um, so I, I think he was... Like Dan said, he was the second best real um, free agent on the market at the center position after Matt Duchesne. And I think he really does fit a lot of the holes that the Flyers need in that position. You know, he's a really good two-way player. He's big. He's good on the boards. And he's a pretty decent skater as well. He's not a real stick in the mud. He he can skate. Um, and he's a very good penalty killer. I mean, a few years ago, he put up, I think, eight, eight points shorthanded um, for the Rangers. And people were looking at his stats and going, oh, you know, he's not a world beater. But quite frankly, in the modern NHL, unless you're on a first line, um, a first unit of a power play, you're not going to put up 70 points as a second line center. And what Kevin Hayes has done over the last couple of years on two different teams is is impressive from a 5v5 perspective. You know, he's a guy who's pretty much scored at 40 point pace 5v5 without any um, penalty. I mean, uh, without any power play. Uh, he's put up... A, Per 60, 2.08 points per 60, you know, that's almost identical at 5v5 to Sean Couturier over the last two years. Now, he's not the same player as Sean Couturier. He's nowhere near as good defensively. He's not got as good at vision. He's not as good around the net as Sean Couturier. But still, um, if he plays a whole season, 82 games, he's going to get 40 or so points, um, just to even strength, and then probably pick up 10 on a second power play unit as well. And that's really what the Flyers have been looking for.
1: So, what do you think a a move like, or what do you think a contract would look like um, for for this Hayes deal to get done? What AAV years, everything like that? What can the fans expect to see this contract to look like?
0: I mean, from a market perspective, it should be five point eight to six when you're looking at other contracts around the league. However, I cannot imagine it coming in that low. I mean, there's been lots of media speculation and lots of kind of. Little snippets released about how Hayes didn't want to go to Philly. He wanted to go to Columbus and Arizona, and then Boston came into the mix. And it seems quite frankly that his agent has spoken to some people in the media and been putting these things out there to kind of potentially drive up the price, I guess. And overpaying by half a million or so for some. I don't think is a big issue. I think that, you know, we've, you've seen that with, say, the James Van Riemsdijk contract. It's better to go out and get a player like that who can score, in the Van Riemsdijk case, 60 points if you've got a good second-line winger. And in Hayes' place, 50 points. Uh, for me, I think the contract will probably come in at about six and a half million. I mean, Paul Stasny is on six and a half million and Paul Stasny is a better player than Kevin Hayes. But he signed a year ago and the deal was only three years. If I was going to guess at a contract, I would probably guess, if they get it signed, six and a half million uh, times six years. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be... Horrified with um like a no-trade clause or a limited no-trade clause. Um, they cannot obviously they can't go to a no-move clause because of the expansion draft. But six point five times six would take into thirty-two years old pretty much when it expired. And um, at that age, you don't really expect to see a player hit a cliff or anything. So I think that would be an acceptable contract, especially with the cap light field rising in that time.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's twenty-seven years old. It's not like that's ancient. A lot, you know, a lot of players don't really hit their stride as professionals until 26 27 somewhere in that age range and what what I like about Hayes that he brings to the, to the table and this has obviously been a huge hole for the Flyers as a whole in the last couple of years is the penalty kill he's very good on the penalty kill the Flyers have been god awful at killing penalties the last two years now I don't know how much of that was scheme obviously the new coaching staff is in here so we'll see you know what what the new scheme does and how the Flyers react to that. But, I mean, getting as many guys in here, because, you, you know, Sean Contouria can only do so much. Claude Giroux can only do so much on the PK. You need more guys in there and bringing in a guy like Hayes if he chooses to sign. If, if it could boost the special teams, then, you know, that's e- an even more added bonus. And I expect his numbers to go up even more than they were. I mean, the best, um, the most goals he ever put up was 25 when he was with the Rangers. Lo and behold, that was under Elaine Vigneault as the head coach, who is here obviously now with the Flyers. The Flyers are going to lean on him more offensively. They're going to ask him to do more offensively because they need him to. So I expect, I don't see any reason why we don't see an uptick, maybe that 25 hovering around 30 goal mark for this season. And, you know, if they could get it done, and I kind of just think, I I think that right now where the Flyers are at, they're, you know, they have their foot in the door. They're obviously you know the urgency is on them to get the deal done before a free agency starts i i kind of expect that if they don't blow him away with with a number, if they don't just kind of you know overpay for what they think the market value is for him, he may just go to free agency just to see what else is out there and use it as you know use it as a, a bargaining chip. Like, look, you know, the Flyers if they're offering six a year and he gets six and a half from somewhere else, and he comes back to the Flyers, you know, and gives them a chance to top it, you know, I, I think that could happen because you know unless the Flyers blow him away. With a number, I don't think they will, but you know we'll see. But um, so the other move that came down Friday, which again a lot of debate, and I at first glance was not happy about it, and when I thought about it, when I looked at the numbers of uh, the newest flyer Matt Niskanen, you know his numbers dipped last season, but he's a guy with experience. He's a guy that's obviously won Stanley Cups, and the you know Friday, I guess it was late morning. Radko Gudis to Washington, bringing back Matt Niskanen, basically swapping um, defensemen. And Dan, where does Matt Niskanen kind of slot into the Flyers' defensive blue line right now? Because it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of guys, and he's kind of, he's a newcomer, but obviously he has the experience they wanted. Where I, I think I saw you see on say on Twitter, you see him going into that top pairing with Provorov. Is that right? Yes.
2: If the offseason ended right now, right. That's, yeah. that's what I would do. You know, I think it's funny. This trade came down on Friday. I'm guessing that this trade was in place for a long time and that obviously they had to wait until the Stanley Cup finals were over to announce it. But, look, the Flyers had three main holes they wanted to fill in the offseason, second-line center, middle-six winger, and a, a top-four defenseman. And a lot of people were kind of – looking at guys like eric carlson and jared spurgeon and jacob truba and the reality is is that eric carlson san jose rumors are that jared spurgeon wants to re-sign in minnesota or at least they're going to try and re-sign him jacob truba someone's going to pay a king's ransom for that guy and he might only sign a one-year deal so that it can become an unrestricted free agent next off season so i saw a lot of flyers fans upset at the gutis Niskanen trade, but the reality is, is that Niskanen was probably one of the better right-handed defensemen out there who could slot into your top four. So who is Matt Niskanen? Well, he's you know he's he's older than Gudis. He's a couple years older than Gutis. He the thing that stands out to me is that this guy has been playing top two minutes. For the Washington Capitals, who have won the last four division titles and they won a Stanley Cup, each of the last four years, Niskanen's been in their top two in terms of even strength minutes played. And so you're telling me that he couldn't slot in and play top two even strength minutes for the Flyers? If it's good enough for a team like the Capitals who have won multiple division titles in a row, then, you know, I see it as is a fine fit for the Flyers. What, Radko Gudis doesn't really fit into Elaine Vigneault's system. The style of play that that Vigneault's teams play is he wants defensemen who can move the puck quickly and who can skate the puck up the ice. And that's not Radko Gudis. Radko Gudas is probably one of the most underrated players in the league. Uh, he's got a bad reputation because of the suspensions. But the reality is, is that Gudis has been a very effective defenseman at Uh, keeping pucks out of the net when he's on the ice. He's very good in his own zone. He's like one of the few defensive defensemen that grades out well via uh, advanced stats and Corsi and Fenwick. And so he's a very good defenseman. But Matt Niskanen fits in much better to the style of play that Vino is going to want to play. And they also wanted to bring in somebody who could be a veteran presence who has won a cup like a Matt Niskanen. You know, Gudis and McDonald were kind of veteran presences, but now you've got a guy like Matt Niskanen, who, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim, Phil Myers, hopefully Shane Dawson Bear, Sam Moran, can look up to as someone who can kind of who's been around and who's played for the Penguins and the and the Capitals and has all this playoff experience. And look, maybe the Flyers will go out and add a Jacob Trouba or a Jared Spurgeon, who's someone who could slot in. Uh, on the right with Ivan Provorov on that top pairing, but but right now I would be perfectly happy with Provorov and Niskanen as the first pairing, Shane Gossisbar and Travis Sanheim as the second pairing, and Sam Morant and Phil Myers as the third pairing, with Haig as the seventh defenseman. I would be perfectly happy with that right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> kind of what I didn't like about the move. Um, was the money that was kind of going back and forth? The Flyers are retaining thirty percent of Gudis's contract, and you know this is Goodis was a guy that was coming off the books after this year, and then you're bringing in Niskanen, who at a higher per year salary for not only this season that you have him. He's on their contract for next season. He's thirty two. I'm not saying he's going to break down tremendously in the next year, but you know it, it, the Flyers already. We know what they have cap-wise, flexibility-wise, and that's great. And then adding this, it didn't sit well with me from that aspect, especially because they have so many guys that are not only, that are coming up uh, to their restricted free agency. We know the names. Patrick has to get paid. Um, Connecting's going to have to get paid. Eventually, down the road, Carter Hart's going to have to get paid. There's guys that their contracts are going to come up, and I would have liked to just have them a little bit more freed up Financially after this season, once Goudis's number comes off. But I mean, look, when I, the numbers I don't like, but the player, you can't put a price tag really on playoff experience. And that's what Matt Niskan has in, you know, so much of it from what he had with the Penguins, from what he had with the Capitals. And he knows what it takes to get to the finals and to win them. And that's tremendously valuable for a team that, that everybody pretty much lacks a, a good bit of playoff experience. They miss it last year. They were one and done the year before Missed it the year before that. So, having guys like that on that blue line when you have so many, that you're relying on so many young players that have never even, they don't know what it's like to get past the first round, they don't know how hard it is in that third round in the finals, what that's like what the toll it takes on your body, how to preserve yourself to get there and a guy like Matt Niskanen coming in with these guys with, and these are cornerstones of the franchise, guys like Provorov, guys like Sanheim Sanheim, Phil Myers, these are cornerstones of the franchise that the Flyers are building on and yeah, do I, I? don't love that they took on more money, but I I like what Matt Niskanen brings to the table as a player and as a leader in the locker room.
0: Alex, what uh, what
2: was your take on the move?
0: I mean, for me, first I'll say the things that I don't like about it. First of all, um, the salary and the extra year at term, um, I'm not the biggest fan of. I mean, Niskanen's on five point seven five million a year, and he's arguably overpaid for what he's been bringing in the last few years. Secondly, Matt Niskanen over the last two years is not the player he used to be. Um, I, I would, even though he's been playing big minutes, he's not been very effective in those minutes. And I would argue that right now he's a number four in terms of his kind of similar, actually, to Radko Gudas. Apart from Gudas has been probably, I would say, more effective in his own zone over that time. Um, and while Niskanen is a more talented player in terms of their offensive contributions over the last two years, they're pretty much a wash, at, um, even strength. You know, they're both around 0.85 points per 60. um, And Gudas has kept more pucks out of his own net in that time. However, um, the thing I would say is that Niskanen has been playing a versus top six competition, whereas Gudas has been playing against middle six competition. I don't think that evens it out, but it is um, kind of a mitigating factor for Niskanen. Plus, I think if Alan Vigneault, now we're getting into the positives, if Alan Vigneault is playing the style of hockey he played in Vancouver, Um, Not so much New York, where it was a bit more turgid, a bit more defensive. But in Vancouver, they played an up-tempo system, which really emphasised getting the puck out of the zone quickly, transition through the neutral zone, being very aggressive at their own blue line to stop entries. Well, the two things that Matt Niskanen is unarguably still excellent at, even if he is declining, is preventing opposition forwards getting into his own zone and getting the puck out of the zone with possession to forwards in the neutral zone to transition into the offensive zone quickly. So arguably you could say that Matt Niskanen's style fits the um the shape of what Alan Vignon might bring way more than Radko Gudas does. So that I think is a massive positive. Plus, he is used to playing against top forwards or like way more often than Radko Gudas. Um and plus, there's also the fact that he is a more talented player than Radko Gudas. And if Matt Niskanen can refine the form he had from 2013 to 2017, where you know he was a good number two defenseman who could play those big minutes and be very effective in them, then that's great for the Flyers. I think there is a small risk um, that he is not quite as effective as Gudas is, but I understand why they've taken that risk.
1: And that's not only the big positive, the biggest positive really is the news that came down Saturday, and you have to believe that the the acquiring of Matt Niskanen meant that there was only one guy. There was the odd man out that we kind of knew was on his way out anyway. And then Saturday, the, you know, the on the chopping block, the, the the knife kinda comes down. Andrew McDonald was placed on waivers with the intent of terminating his contract. He obviously passed through waivers because who the hell would pick him up? And there you go. Matt Andrew McDonald no longer on the Flyers, which now all the guns on Twitter face go from uh, Andrew McDonald probably to Robert Haig and everyone's already given him a whole bunch of shit which is fine to see um, Dan your lasting memory
2: of Andrew McDonald would be what well it's got to be doing the starfishes on the ice all the time <laughs> you know I mean that was I've never seen anyone who spent as much time on the ice doing kind of like starfish formations while the puck is, is being shot on our own net than, than AMAC you know he, I never had a single doubt that they were going to buy him out, which I've said multiple times in the last month. So here's real quickly, this is what this means, right? He was scheduled to make five million dollars this upcoming season, and instead of that, uh, he's going to make, from the Flyers' perspective for the salary cap, it's going to be 1.16 million. So the Flyers are basically going to save 3.8 million on the cap this season. However. Uh, for the 2020-2021 season, whereas they normally would have had no money committed to Andrew McDonald, they're now going to have $1.9 million. So if you think about it, what this means is that it would suggest that Chuck Fletcher is going to spend close to the cap this offseason. Because if he wasn't going to spend close to the cap this offseason, then it m- probably wouldn't have made as much sense to buy out Andrew McDonald. So just from a strategic standpoint, I think that's kind of what that means. I mean, it could also mean that he just didn't want McDonald to be an option for Elaine Vino, Vigneault. But I don't I don't think that Vigneault was going to rely too heavily on McDonald. So, you know, what this means, aside from the fact that uh, Flyers fans don't have to watch McDonald out there on the ice,
0: is is it means
2: it's much more likely the Flyers are going to spend close to the cap ceiling this offseason.
1: That's exciting. That's that's very positive. It makes me feel good. Um. So you guys want to you guys want to do this because this is where you guys shine, really. I mean, you're obviously both very smart hockey men, but when we're talking about drafts and prospects, I think that you are two of the best, um, Dan. And I know why you didn't do it. Usually, you put out your you know your top. Um, your list of players that the Flyers could be looking at in the draft, and I know why you didn't this year, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, Alex, I'll start with you because me and Dan, the last time that we spoke and pretty much every time we've talked about the draft since we found out what pick the Flyers were going to have, we kind of both said that it makes most sense to us to trade the 11th pick. So kind of like where is where is your mindset at as someone that analyzes the Flyers and sees what they need and what they have what is your ultimate plan for the Flyers, not only in the first round of the draft, but there after that?
0: I mean, with this draft, I think it's, di- it's made a bit more difficult simply by the kind of tears of the draft. I think first and foremost, I would say there are these kind of, I wouldn't say it's a clear top seven in terms of talent, or in my opinion, but there are seven players, Jack Hughes, Capo Caco, Alex Turcotte, um, Kirby Dash, um, uh, Trevor Grass, uh, Dylan Cousins, and then Bowen Byron. And I think those seven guys are going to be gone before the number eleven pick, no matter what, pretty much, mm-hmm. barring something miraculous. But then you have kind of a second tier of really talented forwards. And from my perspective, there are probably going to be at least one or two of them available, which does, I think, complicate things slightly because it's not a draft, say, where there's a you know a top eight and then there's a big fall-off. There's there's a there's a group of players who I think could be and have the realistic potential to be a legitimate first line. 70-point players, and the Flyers will have one or two of them available. That being said, um, you know, they've gone hard to get Kevin Hayes, they've gone and got Matt Niscombe in them. It does seem like as well from Chuck Fletcher's comments that if the right deal comes along, um, they would be willing to move that a number 11 pick, and I do understand that. But it really just does depend on what's coming back and what they're going to have to give up for it, because from my perspective, there's a few guys who could be there at that number 11 pick who in one two years' time could be seriously contributing on the Flyers. Were, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I
2: mean, you know, I I know Mark. We've talked about this before, and and um, my thoughts maybe a month ago might be different than they are now. I mean, I I was thinking that they would almost assuredly trade this pick, but you know, a lot of things have happened. They've added Matt Niskanen, who could be their only defense addition this off season. and also, you know, you they they traded for the rights to kevin hayes so if if they sign kevin hayes and they've already got niskanen in the fold then it doesn't maybe it doesn't become as important to use that number 11 pick to try and get someone i mean we were thinking maybe you go after jared spurgeon with that pick but it looks like he he may end up re-signing in minnesota and you have to think that this is this is going to be the first first round pick that chuck fletcher and um uh, flour have, uh, I think it's that's his name, right? Bill Flar, uh, <clears throat> um, with with the Flyers. So these guys may want to put their, you know, their 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 mark on this franchise by making that first round pick. So there may be something that's that's. Uh, it, perspective that would lean towards, hey, if their choices are they're either going to trade Morgan Frost to try and add somebody they want, like a Jacob Truba, or they're going to trade the first round pick, they may actually lean towards making that pick just because they didn't pick Morgan Frost. like mm-hmm. They didn't pick Isaac Ratcliffe. But this is their chance to get a really good player. And as, as Alex mentioned, there's some tiers in the draft. I'd actually, I look at it pretty similarly to him, but maybe a little bit differently. It seems to me that there's like a clear cut top five. That most people have, and that's Hughes, Kako, Bo, and Byram, Alex Turcotte, and Trevor uh, Zigras. Those five guys, it seems like most people think are going to be the top five. After that, from like six to fifteen, you could look at ten different ratings, and all ten of them would have different guys going in all those spots. And so there are, you know, three. There are three players that I would really like to see the Flyers end up with who might be available. And, you know, guys like Cole Caulfield, who's an absolute sniper, he scored 72 goals this season for the U.S. development program, or Matthew Boldy, who was Caulfield's linemate a lot of the time. He's, he's very much like a Joel Faraby type. Um, or a guy like uh, Dylan Cousins, who I really like. He reminds me of Jeff Carter, and I've, I've got a, a top draft ranking up on my screen right now that's got him ranked 14th. So, you know, there's I think that there's a, a, just a lot of uh, differences of opinions on where some of these guys are going to go. And so depending on who's available, I don't think the Flyers are going to move this pick until they have a better sense of who's going to be available. Because there's probably some guys that they really like. Maybe they like Alex Newho- Newhook or something. And so they want to see if he's available at 11. So I, I think it's going to come down to Friday and the draft to kind of see – uh, if they're going to keep the pick or trade the pick, but I'm I'm more on board with keeping the pick than I was just because of some of the the research I've done into some of these players. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Alex, you obviously you you study these guys a lot. You know, you know a lot of their games. You know what the Flyers need. So, if you if who is your clear cut? in your mind, number one guy that you would love, that's obviously realistic because Jack Hughes, we would all love to have, but of the realistic guys the Flyers could pick at 11, who is the guy in your mind that stands out most?
0: Well, first and foremost, I'd say I'd 100% go forward, just because while I like Moritz Seider and Soderstrom and Cam York as well, I think he's a really good player, and you also have Broberg, who's an amazing physical talent, but I don't really trust his IQ. I think these guys kind of at the best, probably top out as a number two, three defenseman, unless Broberg develops his IQ enormously. Um, so therefore, I think forward is really the way to go. And as I said before, in my eyes, there's seven guys who will almost certainly go before number 11, without say someone going off the board and picking another defenseman. And then for me, you then have five guys who have serious potential and also quite high flaws as well. But of those guys, I think if he falls, um, Cole Carfield is he's a kind of home run pick. In terms of if he hits, you're getting an unbelievable talent. What he, what he can do, if he, if he was a couple of inches taller, there's an argument to be made that, you know, he's he's the third, probably most talented player in this draft after Hughes, after Hughes and uh, Kaku in terms of what he can actually do. He has everything apart from the size. You know, he's got amazing agility, great acceleration, fantastic top end speed, silky hands that he can use at that speed and a shot that's amongst the best in the draft. He can be an immense threat on the power play, actually from that Ovechkin slot on the um, left side with that big shot. And he also has a good hockey IQ and he's a good penalty killer as well. Um, he's, he's just small. Um, and if, as we've seen in the last few years, you know, Alex DeBrincat is pretty much the same size as him. Um, Johnny Gaudreau is not much bigger. And these guys fell in the draft because they were small, even though they had great statistical profiles, even though the skill sets were great. And... If he's there, I think it'll be hard to pass upon someone who can have that kind of impact. I think within a couple of years, with a small amount of physical development, um, he could be a seventy-plus point NHL easily.
1: Dan, are you kind of thinking same way as him with with Caulfield, or is there another guy that you really like for the Flyers to take?
2: No, if if Cole Caulfield somehow drops to number eleven, and again, I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have him available at number eleven. Some have him going as high as five, but some have him dropping to eleven. I would absolutely want the Flyers to take him because further to the fact that he is probably, as Alex said, one of the top three talented players in this draft, the Flyers could really use a guy like him because they've done a really good job of drafting some guys that, that are potentially better setup men, but they don't have a whole lot of natural goal scorers in the system. Although Joel Farabee, who they took last year is kind of good at everything and he, he could actually develop into a, a pretty damn good goal scorer in the NHL. Morgan Frost is a guy who's more of a I mean, he scored a lot of goals, but he's his what makes him stand out at the NHL level hopefully is gonna be his vision and his hockey IQ and the the passes that he makes and the ways that he sees plays develop. And if you want you want to surround a guy like that with someone like a Cole Caulfield, and he he would be the kind of player who would you know, really complement a lot of what we have got on this roster. But more importantly, he's just – you don't see goal scorers like him come, al- come along. And I've in the past – I haven't been as high on, quote-unquote, sniper goal scorers in the draft as as others. I, I wasn't a huge fan of Oliver Wallstrom. Um, I uh, wasn't a big fan of – now his name's blanking. Alex can fill it at the uh, – oh, Be- Kiefer Bellows, who some Flyers fans wanted to take. Because those guys – Wallstrom and Bellows were kind of like one-dimensional goal scorers. As Alex mentioned, Cole Caulfield is a very well-rounded hockey player. He's a pretty good skater. He's got great hands, and he's got a very high hockey IQ. So to go along with his incredible shot and release, he's got a, a package of skills. So I would love to see him available there. I think that my number two guy, if he's available, and I'd love to hear Alex's thoughts, or, or, or Matthew Boldy, who was also with the U.S., uh, national development team. And that program, the, the kids that they're kicking out this season is incredible with Caulfield Hughes, Boldy, Trevor Zegras. They're just, uh, the, the talent that that program is kicking out this year, Bobby Brink, who's another really kind of fascinating kid. Who's a, a, uh, U.S. born player. Um, it's just a a lot of kids coming out of, uh, the U S this year, but, um, you know, Alex or uh, Matthew Boldy is a guy that I'd like to see them look at if he's available and Caulfield is not. He plays a lot like Farabee. He's got great vision, great hockey IQ. He's got a good shot. And uh, he, he's someone that I'd like to 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 see the Flyers look at if he's available. And he feels kind of like a Flyers type of pick.
0: I, I also really, really like Boldy. I don't think he'd be my second choice in terms of the guys who might be available. Mm-hmm. But I do know what you mean in regards to Joel Farraby I liked Farabee a bit more last year just because – I see a bit more offensive upside in Faraby. I really think Joel Faraby can be a 70 plus point player. And I was on that bandwagon before he was drafted as well. Um, But Matthew Boldy has a fantastic all round hockey game, similar to Faraby in that regards, you know, he's already so good defensively. He's a bit bigger than Faraby as well. He has great hands. He's a good setup man. He can score himself. And I think as well, he probably has a bit more offensive potential than maybe he showed this year. He scored a lot. But I think people were more impressed with, say, Caulfield, um, and with, uh, obviously, Jack Hughes in regards to the offensive upside on, on that same team. But at times you saw him kind of in the neutral zone, just be a bit more passive, um, take care of his defensive zone first. And I think he has more potential in there if um, he doesn't kind of take the fall kind of for linemates at times and, and play that a little bit deeper and more conservatively. Um, for me, and I think he probably all, he, he will very likely be there unless someone kind of falls in love with him. My my number two guy might be uh, Newhook. Um, He's from the BCHL, um, Victoria Grizzlies. And I think this kid, I've not seen an amazing amount of him. I saw him at the under 18s and I've seen highlights of him in the BCHL. But for me, he almost kind of of has everything. I think people might have some trepidation picking him because, you know, he didn't play in the top league. He played junior A. But I'm really not so concerned about that. Um, he produced at a similar rate as Tyson Jost, who over the last two years has contributed in the NHL. And I think he has a better skill set than Tyson Jost. And at uh, the Under-18 World Juniors, he was Canada's top scorer. He got five goals, five um, assists, ten points in seven games. You now he just has a skill set to die for. He, he's after Jack he's pro- probably the second best skater in this draft. He really is just electric, and he has silky hands. And he manages to control the puck really well while skating at top speed. He just makes opponents look silly. Uh, loves having the puck on his stick. And the rest of his offensive skill set is well-developed too. He's not an amazing shooter in the way that Caulfield is, but he has a quick release that's accurate and really gets goalies in trouble. And he has really good vision. And despite having a real penchant for wanting the puck on his stick and carrying it through the neutral zone, I would not refer to him as a puck hog at all because he makes some sublime passes and utilizes his team weights well. And this is a guy who I think will likely be available at 11. I think his probable range is somewhere kind of the 10 to 15 mark. He's going to Boston College next year, and he's already pretty physically mature. He's around 5'11", but he's over 190 pounds. And it wouldn't shock me if he goes to Boston College and he's one and done in the NCAA, and potentially it could be in the NHL um, the year after.
2: So, Alex, um, because I think, as you mentioned, Alex Newhook is probably the, the, the first guy we've talked about that almost assuredly will be there at number 11 unless somebody falls in love with him in the picks range 8 through 10 you know after what happened with Jay O'Brien and the Flyers picking him and by the way I I'm not giving up on Jay O'Brien at all he had he had a, a struggle with injuries this season uh, but I, I would have I feel like I would have some trepidation at taking a guy out of a league like the BCHL you know you I looked at some comparables and you mentioned Tyson Jost but he's had a very difficult uh a, you know time adjusting to the NHL I think that by now a lot of people were kind of hoping that Tyson Jost would be performing a little bit better. And if he had been, I think the Avalanche perhaps, uh, you know, might have made a little bit of a deeper run just because, you know, they kind of need some depth scoring. And he really hasn't provided much of that. But, you know, a small sample size of a comparison. There have not been a ton of guys that have been drafted out of the BCHL that have made impacts in the the NHL. And so what – I mean, what – do you have – Any concerns about taking a guy out of a league like that after the Flyers did this kind of the same
0: thing with with Jay O'Brien out of high school last year? I think there's a difference simply because, you know, high school and the BCHL are just completely different levels in the high school. You know, you're playing against guys who might not be playing hockey next year in the BCHL. Even the third and fourth liners are generally going to maybe go on to play like U sports, Canadian university level. And quite a lot of them go to say AHL and ECHL down the line. It's the best junior A league in North America. And they have had successful players out there in the past, people who can play. I mean, you know, Jamie Bent was drafted out of the BCHL. It's easy to forget. Um, And as well as that, Jay O'Brien, he went to the U.S. development program in the USHL in that year, played with those guys. And while he looked good, the statistics were never really there. You know, in his U.S. uh, development program, he played on a lower line, but he only got two points in seven games. And he wasn't selected um, to play for the the U.S. at any point before the World Juniors last year. He was never on the on the full us team whereas um new hook this year he went to the under 18 world juniors and was one of canada's best players you know he was he was playing alongside um a lot of the guys who are gonna go very early in this draft and he looked as good or, or, or better than them and before that you know he played for canada in the um in the world uh the world junior Challenge uh, under 19s and looked good uh, he played in the under 17s at the world hockey challenge for canada black um, where they split the teams into into different uh, groups. And, and each time, he he's looked good playing against some of the best players in in his age group. And with a skill set like his, I just can't really see him falling flat on his face uh, like uh, O'Brien. I mean, O'Brien also has a good skill set, but he he never showed up at such a high level. I mean, you know... New he doesn't Hook's, have the stick-handling skills that not new Newhook does. And he's not as good a skater. And I don't think his IQ IQ as his high either. Um, and I mean, the under-18s, you know... Newhook outscored Dylan Cousins. He outscored Philip Tomasino. He scored the same amount of points as Peyton Krebs, outscored Ryan Suzuki, outscored Jakob Pelletier. All these guys are going to go first round. And Newhook played with them, was put on merit, higher in the lineup than them, and played very well while doing so.
1: Alex, I'm looking here at your, um, actually, like, minutes before we started recording this, you put out on The Athletic... um, The headline is, from studs to sleepers, eight names the Flyers should watch in the NHL draft. We talked about two of the guys in the first round that you uh, have mentioned here, obviously, Cole Caulfield, Alex Newhook. The other guy in the first round that you just briefly touched on there was uh, Peyton Krebs. What do you like about Krebs? What do you think he could bring? What does he bring to the table as a player?
0: Well, I can't give everything away simply because everyone should click on the athletic article and read it, obviously. But um, um, Krebs... uh, what I like about Peyton Krebs is he's just, he's the kind of, he's very stereotypical. And, you know, I'm, I'm usually a guy who goes full on with the analytics and talent evaluation and all this kind of thing. And Peyton Krebs has those things. But he's the kind of guy who, when you watch him, you want him on your team. He has a lot of grit. He has a lot of aggression. He, he shows up every single game and leads it all on the ice. And he leads by example. He's the kind of guy who will go out there and you can see his teammates just want to play for him and behind him. And he has, he like I said, he has a good skill set. There are no real... There are no real flaws in his game. He played on one of the worst teams in the Canadian juniors last year and put up very good numbers considering that. He just tore his Achilles, partially tore his Achilles, but I'm not so worried about that going forward. I mean, we've had guys now in the last couple of years in the NHL tear their Achilles and come back pretty much within a couple of months even. Um, Can't remember who it was earlier this year, but um, I had a guy tore tore Achilles and came back within two months and it's only a partial tear. Uh, He's the kind of guy who's gonna go into the NHL and maybe he doesn't quite have the upside that say Caulfield and Newhook have uh, but I think he could still be a very 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 good number two center or even a number one center down the line
1: I like the idea of sleepers Dan I know you you look at this stuff pretty closely who's a guy that's probably not getting as much conversation as he should going into Friday
2: so someone that I mentioned a little bit earlier people are kind of you know, looking at uh, Cole Caulfield as a small guy who might slip. Bobby Brink is a player who, by the way, his dad named him Bobby Orr Brink. He's such a, a big <laughs> hockey fan. And he's a kid who is he a Boston he's, guy. he uh, he played in Sioux City in the uh, USHL this year. I don't know. I, I'd have to check. Let's see where he was born. While we're, while we're talking about this, I'll, I'll take a look at where he was born. Bobby Brink um, sounds like a comic book name. It does. Right. He uh, he's born in Minnesota and he put he played in the U.S. HL this season, um, which is a a junior league in uh, the U.S. And he put he scored thirty five goals in forty three games, sixty eight points. And you watch him play and he's not he's not the greatest skater. He's not the most fluid skater. But man, his hockey IQ is unbelievable. He, he knows where he needs to be. He finds a way to put the puck in the net. He's got a great shot. He's got great stick handling. He's good moves, great vision. He's a kid who I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, some team falls in love with him in the top 15 and, and takes him because just in watching a lot of these players, you kind of get a sense of the kind of players who are going to succeed and who have the drive to succeed, kind of like what Alex is talking about with Peyton Krebs. And you see the same thing with, with Bobby Brink. And so he's a guy who, if the Flyers were picking, you know, down around 15, 16, 17, I would really be looking at them to take. But he, he's a player who, you know, he put up six points um, at the U18 tournament for the U.S. And I... Uh, I'm just I'm a fan of the way that he plays and I think his skill set is going to translate to the NHL just maybe improve his skating a little bit but but he's a player that I'm very intrigued by. All right, so anybody
1: can Google the names of the first round, see who's going to be available, who's not, but it takes a true expert to go deeper than that into the other rounds. So Alex, without giving any, you know, too much away here, who do you like kind of from I don't know, I don't know how far you go into this, but who do you like kind of like the second, third round, those middle rounds where GMs can really flex their draft muscles by finding those diamonds in the rough?
0: I think, I mean, in the second and third round, I think the NHL is so well scouted now that generally there's not so many diamonds to be in the rough to be had. Um, I'm not going to speak about anyone i spoke about in my athletic article uh, <laughs> in the middle rounds, but uh, one guy I actually... I, I really enjoy his game and I think Flyers fans would really like him too is Albin Grub uh, from Jurgarden uh, in the SAL. Uh, he's probably going to go, I would say, in the second round. He's um, he's a... He's a I, I want to call him a big player even though he's only six foot but he plays the game uh, really big. He's, you know, an energetic guy, drives to the net, puts his shoulder down, gets gets around the gritty areas all the time and he's, he's a real player it's not so common, I would say, from a lot of the Swedish players, but he's a real pest. He gets under the opposition skin, and you know, you, you, he only played kind of a few games in the SEL this year. He was mainly playing in the uh, the Super Elite, um, but he 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 was he was causing trouble for some of the experienced defensemen in that league around the net. Now he's the kind of guy who probably doesn't have that high an upside. I think he's probably a middle six forward. Um, but he's a guy who I think he'd say, if he, if he fell to the second pick in the second round, the Flyers have, or in the third round, I'd, I'd be happy to see him drafted. Um, and I think he probably has more talent and skill than his uh, points would suggest. And then I'm going to speak about one player, actually, I did speak about in um, my athletic uh, sleepers. And this is a guy who just got picked the other day to come to North America out of Sweden again. Um, he got picked for the team to go to Plymouth, and it's a good pick probably to go for the World Juniors, is Philip Siederquist. Uh, he plays for Vecchia Lakers, the same team who um, Linus Huggbeye and David Bernhardt play for. He's a, he's a, a, an overager, technically. He's a few months older than um, the cutoff for the draft, born in August 2000. And he should have been drafted last year, quite frankly. He should have been drafted in the 5th, 6th, or 7th last year Where you see his skill set. And this year, he's really broke out, played in the SEL, um, played really well. Um, and he's the kind of guy who he's already contributing in a men's league. And if he's there in the fifth round onwards, he's a guy who I would seriously, seriously consider taking. Maybe even earlier.
1: Hmm. All right. Um, <clears throat> Dan, do you have any knowledge of these guys in the middle I, rounds
2: that you like? I do not. I have admittedly not done enough research to try and figure out middle round guys um, you know, I would say that folks should definitely go take a look at Alex's article for some great names there. I think another guy who uh, we've had on the show a few times, who's been really good at kind of like scouting out people for the middle rounds, is uh, our buddy Ted, mm-hmm. who is Twitter is at that guy eleven nine twenty. So I think folks should go, you know, check out Alex's article and 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 uh, his account, and also Ted if they want to see some guys that might be more of uh, middle round types. Ted was well, on draft today too. Yeah,
0: What I will say as well is, uh, in my article I outlined two defensemen who the players should seriously look at in the middle of the round. Because while I, I think picking a defenseman at number 11 is not a great idea in terms of the actual upside of talent, there are a couple of uh, European defencemen in the second and third round who I think could have second pair upside and probably have as much kind of upside as someone like Soderstrom.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I, the one defenseman I'm kind of intrigued at at number 11, although I just I think that the forwards are a more talented group of what's going to be available at number 11. But the, the one guy that kind of intrigues me is Moritz Seider, who's the big defenseman. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know, I don't think there's been a German player taken in the first round, so I think he could become the first. But uh, Leon, he... Leon, Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, Dreisaitl, that's right. So there you go. So maybe he would he would be the second. Um, but uh, but he's a guy who intrigues me just because of his blend of size and skating. He, he reminds me a little bit of of Phil Myers from a skill set perspective. But uh, but I do I do agree with Alex that I think that I'd rather the Flyers take a forward in that spot if they do keep the pick.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I got to see I got to see Moritz Seider at the World Championships play for Germany, and he was arguably their best defenseman. As an 18-year-old, I followed him for Adler Mannheim at times this year, and I really like him. He's my uh, second favorite defenseman in the draft after Byram, um, but I think there'll be a better forward available there.
2: Let me let me just say, because Alex mentioned the, the World Championships, that uh, if, if you're not an athletic subscriber, and Alex will get to give his spiel later on um, about all the great work <laughs> he does there, but he did a series of interviews... Uh, about some of the Flyers' young players who are over at the, the uh, World Championships. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best series of articles that I've read this year on the Flyers because he's got quotes from the players, he's got analysis on the player, and then he talks to other Flyers who are at the World Championships to talk about those players. And so do yourself a favor if, if you're not an athletic subscriber, man. It's worth the price of subscription just, just for those articles that Alex wrote on the World Championships. Those are, those are really some great articles, man. You did a, a great work with that.
0: Thanks. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, yeah, it was good speaking to all the players over there. Uh, I had a really, really fun time.
1: All right. Um, Dan, you put out, obviously, like you do every time we do an episode, you put out your tweet about listener questions. And I, th- I said to you, we could probably do an hour alone just on
2: all the questions we got. This we got a record number. Yeah, this is a yeah. lot. I think what we should do, Mark and Alex, is maybe each. You know, we should just kind of rotate among answering these questions. Because if all of us answered each of these questions, we'd be here all night. Tell you what, I have the. I
1: have them all in front of me. Okay. So why don't I fire them off?
2: Okay. because
1: um, most of it is draft stuff, which, obviously, I don't know, dick about. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, there's some. There's some free agency questions. There's some uh, current. Team stuff, but you know, all the draft stuff and everything is obviously in your guys' alley, and probably, and one is actually addressed just to you. So I know who's getting that one. So uh, I guess we'll just we'll handle it like that. Well, I'll kind of read them off, and I'll, yeah, I'll just in- pick
2: one of us to answer.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll insert things here and there. Right. Um, so I'll go with the first one, and that actually says Hey, Dan, would you prefer, would you pursue Pavelski with a three year, seven to eight million dollar offer?
2: So Joe Pavelski, you should like give some. Who 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 is the question oh, from? I'm sorry. So you,
1: you're usually the one that does this. This is from <laughs> Joe Paul at Joe Paul Six on Twitter.
2: Okay, so Joe Pavelski, you know I I think that people are getting wrapped up into giving Kevin Hayes like a long-term contract. If you gave Kevin Hayes a seven-year deal, at the end of that contract, he would still be younger than Joe Pavelski is now. Now, Joe Pavelski is a very good hockey player. He put up 38 goals this season, and I would love to have him on the flyers. You'd probably only need to sign him to a two- or three-year deal. But I just think that a Hayes fits in a little bit better. Pavelski's very offensive-oriented. He's a really good goal scorer. And if we don't sign Hayes, I would be perfectly happy with adding Pavelski as our second-line center because there are not a lot of options. But I do prefer Kevin Hayes to Pavelski just because of his all-around game.
1: Okay. Um, <clears throat> next one I'll give to Alex. This is a draft question. One of them we've pretty much touched on already, but I'll throw it out there. It's a two parter, which is always, uh, always one of my favorites. This is from Billy at underscore Laud 80 or 28. Um, part one in, in a scenario where both Caulfield and Byram are available at number 11, who would you guys pick up and why? And well, I would,
0: I would have to actually have to say, call Caulfield. Um, mm-hmm. I've actually thought about this question previously because I think Byram is clearly the best defenseman in the draft. But what slightly worries me about Byram is his absolute upside. In the NHL today, you know, there are are some very, there are some things that you really need to have kind of a really high upside player. And he's not an amazing skater and he's not amazingly big either. And I can see him being a fantastic number two or maybe a solid number one, but I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to be a franchise defenseman. The Flyers already have Proverov, Gostas, Myers, and Sandheim as well, and now it's always good to add more players in a a position, but I don't think he kind of moves the needle as much as someone as, say, Caulfield would, because I really do think Caulfield can be a legitimate kind of top-ten winger in the game if he hits. And the Flyers really just need the highest upside players they can get, really, right now. They have the depth in the pool.
1: Mm All right, coming back to you on the second part, how would you guys try to spend money to fill the holes we have this summer? Uh, second line center third right third uh, third line winger and uh third or fourth defenseman and who would you take in those spots assuming you can't get your number one pick so basically how would you spend money to fill the flyers holes this summer
0: I mean for me um if they can sign Kevin Hayes I think then the biggest hole actually is um, a third line winger I think if they can push, Hartman, Lawton, and Raffle to be the fourth line, that's gonna be one of the best two or three fourth lines in the NHL. And if you sign Hayes, you're gonna have six players actually. Giroux, Konechny, Hayes, Kuchuria, Voracek, and James Van Riemsdijk, who are top 90 in the NHL over the last two seasons in five five, five points for 60. So you have arguably six guys who are scoring at first line level, um, on the team if Hayes signs, and then one of the better fourth lines in the league. But that third line, you're probably gonna have Lindblom and Patrick. Oscar Lindblom is already a very good two, uh, 200 foot hockey player, and as he showed towards the end of the season, can really score. And Patrick has flashed. He's had both back ends of his seasons, both of his two seasons. The back end, he played like a okay second line center. If you can add another winger to that to that duo, um, that can make them one of the better third lines in this in the league. Then you have probably four lines that are above NHL average or touching on top ten in the league on each line. And for me, the two best guys out there for that slot. Um, one of them actually probably just got a bit easier to sign because he's an unrestricted free agent and Eric Carlson just signed for San Jose uh, is Eunice Donsko. I think for me, Eunice Donsko is one of the best bottom six players in the NHL. I mean, you look at what he's done over the last three years. He's pretty much, he's almost got 40 points. He's averaged almost 40 points in three of his four NHL seasons. And this is a guy playing 13 and a half minutes a night and he doesn't really pay power play. And he's a great play driver. He's very good defensively. Um, He, he, he I think, he's going to get 15 goals a season. If you put him... With Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom, I think that would be a terrific third line. And I think he would probably cost, say, three, three and a half million to get. And I think for what he brings to even strength, that is more than worth it. As a backup option to him, uh, Michael Furland, um, you'd probably have to shift Oscar Lindblom over onto the right wing because Furland's pretty much exclusively a left winger. But Furland's now showed in two, two, different, two seasons in a row just what he can do with two different teams as well. Um, with Calgary you know he was used as a fourth liner early in his career as a 23 24 year old he was getting you know 25 points in 11 minutes a night while, while playing good two-way hockey um, his final season in Calgary in 17-18 he really exploded for 20 goals and 40 points uh, he left Calgary went to Carolina and you know he did exactly the same again and he's a good two-way player he's probably going to score about 20 points a year I mean, 20 goals a year and 40 points a year without that much power play time. You know, if he just has no power play time whatsoever or a power play two role, he's still going to get 35 points and make that third line exceptional. I think really, if they don't, you know, unless they do something crazy and manage to sign Matt Dichay, you know, trade for a top defenseman, I really think that making that top 12 forwards one of the best in the NHL and having four lines will uh, push the needle forward most. And I think Fairland and Don Sky are the two guys who would get that done. All
1: right, Dan, um, <clears throat> I'm going to butcher this name, but Manny Benavides at Manny Benavidez um, says, which of the lesser tier Flyers prospects do you think will have the best season in
2: 2019-2020? Which of the lesser tier prospects will have the best season? Um, so hold on one moment. Let me just pull up uh, the list I've got here. And I assume we're saying that Frost, Farabee, and Ratcliffe are probably the three guys who you're not considering um, lesser tier to be lesser tier. So mm-hmm. outside of those three who will have the best season, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and I think that uh, I'm going to predict a, a nice bounce back season from Jay O'Brien, because I actually believe pretty strongly in what I saw from him at the World Junior Championship Summer Showcase last year and also at flyers development camp so i i I would go with uh jay o'brien i think that one interesting thing here is the flyers have a very good group of uh goaltending prospects samuel air had arguably the uh the best season of any goalie drafted last year and he's a guy who who the flyers might end up trading at some point over the next year because they could get a lot of value back from him i would expect him to, to keep having a, a, a very good career until he heads over to, to, uh, to North America.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Not, uh, you know what? I'm going to give this one to Alex, even though he is, um, I'm going to give you this one to him. Uh, this is from Ben Weegraff at Weig's at Weegs with a Z. Is the president of the United States a Russian agent? And I wasn't going to ask <laughs> this one, but Dan said we should go for it anyway.
0: <laughs> um, Well, I wouldn't say he's probably directly a Russian agent, but um, (laughs) from my perspective, I don't think he's minded what's happened over the last few years. Um, Yeah. uh,
2: We don't want Alex to get kidnapped, so we should probably stop there. Dan, you're living in his backyard. Is he a Russian agent? I have no no comment. Okay. And – me living in D.C. has nothing to do with the political situation. You can't tell <laughs> me to ask the question and then give me a no comment on it. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think the answer is clearly yes. Yeah, okay. Obviously he is. That's fine.
1: All right, all right. Alex, I'll give you a real one. Um, this is from Mike, our friend Mike Aceto at M Death Taxes on Twitter, and it says – Will Pod Colson be available when the Flyers pick at 11, and if so, what are the pros and cons of picking him, particularly given his apparent commitment to playing in Russia?
0: Uh, Pod he's an interesting player. I mean, I don't dislike him, actually, and I think he could be available in at 11, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate the pick. Um, I think he's a pretty safe player in terms of, he plays a fantastic 200-foot game already. He's committed to his defense. He has a complete offensive skill set as well. Some people are kind of worried about the numbers he put up in the NHL this year, but he played well in the VHL and contributed in the KHL. And he's looked good in international competitions. Maybe not as good as some of the other guys, but he's looked good. The The, the downside for me is his upside kind of worries me. Um, I think he's going to be able to play in the NHL, but he, might re- he seriously might top out as a kind of 50-point second line forward, and that might be his upside. And I think with the players potentially available there, there are going to be guys with more upside.
1: All right. Uh, Dan, loyal listener Luke Ricchetto asks, and that's at Luke Ricchetto67, who are you more excited to see develop, Sandheim or Myers? I know you love them both.
2: I do love them both. I will, uh, just because I had controversially had Myers rated ahead of Sandheim a couple years ago on my uh, list of top prospects, I'll go with Phil Myers, but you're obviously just... You know, very making uh, very razor thin distinctions mm-hmm. when you talk about those two guys. Right. I, uh, I I just think that Myers has a slightly better raw tools skill set than Sanheim. I think Sanheim's the best skater on the entire Flyers roster, and he's a phenomenal passer. I just think from a uh, explosiveness standpoint and physicality. An all-around game that Myers could potentially develop into the better player, but I think you're talking about two guys that could both become top pairing NHL defensemen.
1: Okay. Um, so going away from the draft a little bit and more to free agency, Phil Davies at Phil S Phil SD eighty four, uh, and this I'll give to Alex. He says regarding Hayes and discussions carrying on after the draft, he then decides he's going to free agency. What does Chuck do to then? What does Chuck do then for his second line center? Go all out after on uh, offer sheets on point and Marner, or trade for someone else in free agency? Well, we already touched on, I think, one on the options. Or someone else in free agency. Sorry,
0: I mean uh, for me, there's only really a couple more options in free agency. Joel Pavelski is an option for a couple of years and seven plus million. You'd be quite happy. I think he's. I don't think he's going to decline that much over that time. You know, he's still getting 30-plus points and 60... I mean, 30-plus goals, 60-plus points a season. What you really need from a second-line centre is around 50 points with solid two-way play. He is good defensively. The only issue I really have with Pavelski is he hasn't played centre in five years, really. Hmm. He takes a lot of face-offs, but he lines up on right wing most of the time. So that would be my concern. You also have his centre, Joe Thornton. I mean, I imagine he's probably going back to San Jose or potentially even retiring. But if he would be okay with coming over to the East Coast and Philly, he'd be a guy you'd take a look at. He can still, he's almost 40 years old, but on a one-year, two-year deal, he's still a very good hockey player. And then you start to get into really the land of no options, really. I mean, you have like Derek Brassard, who used to be a 2C, but he's had not a great year. And I'm not sure if he can play to that level again. You have Marcus Johansson, who's a very good player, who I trust to score 50 points in the right role, but he's also not really a center. He plays left wing. So then you start to look into trade options. And I think one that could make some sense is Nazem Kadri. It's been put out there um, that he's potentially available. You know, Toronto have a lot of young forwards, um, a lot of good players, good players at the centre spot. And, you know, Kadri's only 28 years old. He's on a fantastic contract, 4.5 million with three years left. And, you know, he's he's going to pretty much get 50 points a year. Um, and I think the Flyers, Flyers fans as well have really loved his style of play. Then you're starting to get, though, into what it actually cost to get Nazem Kadri. And logically, you know, he's, he's worth a first-round pick plus when you consider what he can do. Are they willing to pay that price for him for uh, three years or so? I'm, I'm not, not so sure, especially since I think Kevin Hayes kind of brings a similar similar range of um, things as Nazem Kadri. So it's going to be difficult if they don't get Hayes signed, I think, to get that 2C uh, without giving up something of value. Um, because in rest- unrestricted free agency, you know, I mean, Matt Duchene obviously, they, but there's probably 15 teams in the NHL who want Matt Duchene, and that price is going to be insane.
1: I mean, let me ask you this. if, if Let's say that conversations go into free agency with Hayes do you see them sticking hard after him when like just waiting to see what he does or just kind of explore there other options and and just kind of put that on the back burner and and see what else is out there
0: I mean I think one of Trent Fletcher's obviously most important jobs over the next few days before he before the 23rd when he can speak to anyone is to evaluate just how much Kevin Hayes wants to sign in Philly if he can't get that deal done he needs to know is there a chance still and if not, move him. Move him on, like they did with Dan Hamhuis a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they spoke to him for a week or so, and then moved his rights on for a lesser pick. And I think that's the most important thing, really, to evaluate with Hayes. Um, I guess if he can't get him signed by the twenty-third or so, there's there's a there's not as great a chance of him getting signed. Full stop. Right.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's one of the most interesting things that's going on right now, and that's probably. I, I, as if Chuck Fletcher needed anything else to worry about with the draft coming down the pipeline, you know. Now he's got he's coming down the gun with Kevin Hayes, so I'm, I, we're all interested to see what happens there. All right, Dan, you've been quiet for a while. Bennett C. Bennett underscore C. K. and that's at Bennett underscore C. K. Can the Flyers afford to quote gamble with number eleven and go for a more one-dimensional player, or is the draft too deep in that early mid-range to go? Uh, to not go BPA, uh, best player available, no matter what.
2: And he, he, he mentions, he asked specifically about right. Arthur Arthur Kaliev, yeah. uh, who's scored a uh, insane amount of goals this season in the Canadian Juniors. So I, I think you're going to go best player available, no matter what, in this range. And I, Kaliev is, is pretty much one of the only in my mind, one-dimensional forwards that you'd even be thinking about taking in that spot because uh, Cole Caulfield is not a one-dimensional forward. I don't know if he was kind of insinuating that he would be a guy in that spot, but Caulfield, as we talked about, is a very good skater. He's got great hockey IQ, and he's he's a tremendous stick handler. So he's not a one-dimensional guy. I would not take a player like Kaliev. Yeah, he scored bunches of goals this season, but he's not a great skater uh he's got a little bit of Pavel Brendel in him i mean he's wow. he's just a slow moving guy who uh who, who's you watch games this season and you know he ends up with two goals and he he doesn't stand out in the game at all and maybe in the nhl that's that's something that you don't mind but in in canadian junior leagues with guys you're looking to take in the first round you want someone that's going to leave a mark on a game not just by scoring goals by you know being in the right spot so i um you know I would not take a guy like Kaliev I am interested in Alex's thoughts on on kaliev
0: in terms of Kaliev, if they, if they had the 15th pick I, I wouldn't mind them taking him there. but I think I uh, think uh, 11th overall there are just gonna be two or three better forwards with similar or better upside and a way way higher I'm I mean, a higher floor
1: okay um <clears throat> Alex chip the dipper at Chippy Yip 12 asks. Um, given how deep this draft appears to be, why do you think Fletcher is having trouble dealing the pick? Last week he mentioned that they haven't gotten a very good offer for the pick, potential draft day deal? Question mark?
0: I would guess it's simply a matter of kind of what they want from that pick and what other teams are willing to give up. I mean, I would guess that what they're asking for, really, to give that pick away, is a legitimate youngish top four defenseman who's already established who can play twenty plus minutes a night. Or kind of a Kevin Hayes mold second liner, and I just—I think the other teams are probably not going to go. I think it's also like in terms of fit. How many teams really want that um, that kind of first-round pick and have a surplus player who they're willing to give away? Or it's—it's it, it's just there's not so big a market, I would guess, in terms of what Fletcher wants and who would want that eleventh pick.
1: Then mm-hmm. uh, this one's another one going right directly at you, and it's from Bill Leonard at Major Seventy Eight. Um, he says, given the cap space available after the RFA's are signed, and assuming Kevin Hayes signs for six and a half to seven million, um, first, do we still get a third line center? Second, a top or a top four D man? Um, then he asks about the draft: do you do they go for the best available or trade the pick? And if they trade the pick, trade it for what?
2: So let's talk about the cap space real quick, because based on my calculations they so they need to sign let's say six spots they got to sign or six players travis connect scott lawton ryan hartman ivan Provorov, travis sandheim and a backup goalie and i'm allotting you know roughly 18 to 20 million to, to 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 sign those six players and if if you do that if you assume that right now you're looking at the flyers having about 16 million in cap space Let's say that they signed Kevin Hayes to a seven million dollar deal. Now you're down to about nine million left. And you do actually need to. I don't think you can spend it the cap because the Flyers have very little expiring money next offseason. Yet they've got Nolan Patrick, Oscar Lindblom and Phil Myers, who are all going to be restricted free agents. So they're going to have to come up with you know probably you're looking at 10 million dollars to sign those three guys so I don't think you want to spend it at cap so let's say you get Hayes for 7 million which is a lot that takes you down to 9 million and now you're you're looking at a middle six uh forward and a, and I don't think a, a top if you trade for Jacob Truba and you sign him to an extension that's going to be between 7 and 8 million so at that point you're just you're not going to have the money unless you've moved a guy like Shane bear in that trade you're not going to have the money to sign a middle six forward. So if, if you get Hayes and you add a top, top pairing defenseman, then I think you're going to have to settle for one of the lesser middle six options, bottom six options, and maybe say, Hey, maybe Morgan Frost or Joel Farabee or Radcliffe makes the team. So it's all going to depend on, you know, what happens with Hayes, who they end up signing. But, uh, but I would probably want to leave at least two to 3 million under the cap going into the season just because you also might want to make moves during the season. So I think I, I don't think they're going to be able to add a, a – uh, after the Niskanen move, I don't think you can add a second-line center, a top-pairing defenseman, and a, and a and a middle six forward. I think that uh, you're going to have to maybe go to second-line center and then add a middle six forward and go in with what you've got on D or try and make some other trades, but, but that's how I'd be looking at it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Alex, Jacob uh, Juris, or Juris, and that's at 91 Joris S. Um, and we've talked on this guy a little bit. Um, he said, Philip Broberg, hearing some are skeptical about his offensive upside. What's your opinion?
0: Um, first of all, I'll say I've watched quite a lot of Broberg this year for AIK and the Elspeth gun. He's a fantastic physical talent. He's probably the best skating defenseman in this draft. He's six three. He's probably clocking 205 pounds right now, maybe even 210 he's he has everything you want in a hockey player when you look at a hockey player but my cautionary tale on something like that would be he for me he has a lot of shades of someone say like Braden Coburn in the that guy has all the talent physically to be a number one defenseman in the NHL for 10-15 years but I really doubt his hockey IQ at times he just makes poor plays with the puck poor plays without the puck way too often Um, I was speaking with people at the World Championships and one name that came up actually in regards to Broberg from Swedes, um, from the Swedish press, was Oliver Chillington. Um, He's more talented than Chillington, but this kind of the opinion of him in a similar vein of like people who watch him a lot will go, yeah, he's a physical freak. But unless he somehow really improves his IQ, we can't see him becoming kind of that elite defenseman he has the talent to be. So I think for me, Broberg... He has a high upside, but he's a very risky type of pick.
1: Okay. Um Dan another Dan asks a question. It's Dan Knightley at Dan Knightley. Um I don't know if there's a really a one answer for this, but uh he says, I've seen so many different mocks. Who is the one player expected around the eleven spot that they cannot pass on?
2: Again, I you know, I would say Cole Caulfield, if he makes it there, would be the guy. Uh Matthew Boldy would be the other one for me.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me.
2: Um,
1: <clears throat> all right, I might be dying. All right, Alex. Uh, Cliff Watling at 1965 CJW as hearing that this draft is deep and Fletcher may not have any worthwhile offers. If it is also possible that that he, is it also possible that he trades up five or six spots to get someone they really want, or does he just wait out the 11th pick and take best player available?
0: I think the cost of moving up into the top 10 historically is probably not worth it considering the tiers of players. Like I said, I think I think the player who's taken at eight or nine is probably going to be a similar level as the guy taken at around 12. So I don't think it's worth it. I think where it could be potentially worth it is in the second round, moving up from 41. I think there's a few players who, if they fall, Bobby Brink has been mentioned and some people think he might go very late first or even early second. He's a guy who might be worth moving up for. A guy like Niels Hooglander, who played for Ruggler this year in um, the S.A.L. I've watched quite a lot of him actually in person as well. He's another guy who, you know, he's probably predicted to go 25th to 30th. But if he falls into that kind of early second round, he might be worth uh, moving up. So from my perspective, um, unless they really have a guy they would really like to target, say it's Cole Caulfield and they think he's going to go at nine and you're willing to give you a second round pick with two seconds to move up to get there, that might be worth it. But moving up much further than that to go after anyone specific, I think uh, would be a false economy. Right. Um,
1: Dan, Thanks. Robert N Wilson is famous for giving us multiple part questions. Uh, Yeah'm
2: I'm look I'm looking at his questions. I can just I can just fire down them and give some quick answers here to my man flyer Rob.
1: It's a seven parter.
2: I know all right let me I'm just gonna roll down these all right, all right. I'm gonna give Robert Wilson my, my man here some quick some quick answers here. So number one, do we move pick number 11 and if so for who and if not who are we getting at 11. I I honestly think it's 50-50 at this point. I think you got to wait and see what happens. I think if they can get a guy like Jacob Truba or Jared Spurgeon uh, by moving that pick, I think they they might do it. But um, I I think it's about 50-50. Will we draft more forward or more defensemen this year? So I think think they'll end up drafting – the first-round pick I think is going to be a forward. But I I wouldn't be surprised if they end up drafting more defensemen than – forwards overall to restock the system although obviously since you're playing um 12 forwards a night and six defensemen you know it's more of a ratio type thing i think the ratio of defensemen to forwards might be more than uh one to two last year all draft selections were american board any chance in that again no they will not be taking all americans but i wouldn't mind seeing one in the first round will gritty be in vancouver (laughs) i don't know he's Bob, you gotta, uh, you, you got to reach mm. out to, uh, I don't know, maybe some Flyers contacts on that one. But I wouldn't be shocked. Will Haig be moved? That's a, that's actually an interesting question. Okay. I do think that Robert Haig is going to get traded. Tony Andrakaitis, the uh, the Phantoms correspondent who broke the Niskanen trade, he, he recently came out and said he was hearing rumors that Haig was going to be moved at the draft. So I think they are going to move Robert Haig. He's just not an Alain Vino type of player. Which of the three has a legit chance of making NHL opening day, Frost Ferry or Ratcliffe? I actually think that Farbee has the best chance of those three, uh, which is not the most people would say frost, but I I, I for me right now is the number one prospect in the Flyer system. And I, I think he's got a slightly better chance of, of making it. Who will back up Carter Hart? I don't I have I have no idea. <laughs> I, I would like to hear Alex's thoughts on Haig being moved. And which of those three has the best chance of making the Flyers
0: roster? Well, for me, Robert Hegg is like quite an emotional subject in a strange way. Simply because um, I followed him since uh, I was—he was—he was 16 years old. He played for my favorite team in Sweden, MODO, and I was super high on him in the NHL draft. I thought he was a first-round pick. Um, but yeah, he's just not developed the way that I thought he would. His offensive game is pretty much stagnated at the level it was when he was 17 years old. He's added nothing new to getting shots through and just having an okay pass, you know, and he's not an amazing skater. Um, and while he's kind of good around his own net and on the boards, I just, I struggle to see him being anything more than a solid number six. If he continues to improve in the NHL and with, if Vigneault chooses to play the kind of system he did in Vancouver, up tempo and emphasis on getting the puck out of the zone, um, the ice and making crisp passes to forwards with speed in the neutral zone. He really is the odd man out. And I think actually, um, Sam Moran would arguably be a better fit for that kind of system Sam Moran is no world beater but he was better than Robert Hegg in the AHL when they played together he's a much better skater than Robert Hegg and I also think he has a better outlet pass um, so yeah I would say that um, I'd, I'd be happy to see Robert Hegg moved in terms of yeah, I think it'll make the Flyers uh, better going forward um, especially if they're on a Vigneault style um, of hockey from Vancouver in terms of who's most likely to make the opening night roster, first of all, I'd like to add, I would like to—I don't think Isaac Ratcliffe should make the opening night roster. Uh, he's a very good player and he's very talented, but he's still very raw. I mean, usually when you're talking forwards of that kind of size, historically, they just take a bit longer to mature because they take a bit longer to grow into the frame, to put the weight on, um, to kind of get accustomed to have it to, to, to skate in and be in that size and using their physicality. Um, Frost and Farabi is a difficult one. Um, Joel um, Faraby is more physically developed than Frost even though he's a year younger Uh, in terms of game they're both very good two-way players at times I see you know talk of like Morgan Frost and oh he's an amazing offensive powerhouse but defensive game but he's a really good penalty killer and very diligent in his own zone Um, what might tip it in Faraby's favour is that if they sign Hayes it means that they have Couturier, Hayes and Patrick down the middle uh, which might lead me to think that Faraby has more chance, simply because there'll be another winger slot open. Personally, I think Frost is slightly more NHL ready in terms of his all-round game.
1: Good stuff. Um, so yeah, I th- is that all of them? Those are all the questions we've. Ugh, uh, we made it through. I know that was good.
2: I like when they. we like- got some. Gr- we got some great listeners, man. That was a lot of questions that they sent in, and some really good ones.
1: I'm going to bet that we had the record for most questions on this podcast because Alex was here with us. I
2: was going to say, they heard Alex was coming on. I'm telling you, Alex should be uh, like, he's like the professor, which yeah. is they calling him the professor. Could you just see him like standing up, you know, in front of a classroom preaching about, about this stuff?
1: A lot of it is the accent. That has a lot to do with it, but yes, I could. He's like, I mean, because you know, because he's from Europe. I mean, we could call him that. He's like prospect NHL prospect royalty. We don't have Mark. We're
2: gonna one of these days, Mark. We're gonna be like doing our podcast like five years from now. Alex is gonna be (laughs) on like TSN, and we're gonna be like being like, no, really, people, Alex actually was on our podcast five years ago. Yeah, like he, like we're not making he's, this he's, up. He's got a bright, bright future, man.
1: He definitely does, Alex. Great stuff. Um, So, you, it's, I mean, we've been doing this now for an hour and 20 minutes, and I think we've bored the people enough, and you, At this point, we usually go into our closing remarks, and Alex, since you're a guest, guests go first, and you have a lot more to pitch than me and Dan do, so just kind of close everything out, you know, where people can find you, where they can follow you, and, you know, just give everybody your rundown.
0: Uh, Well, uh, first and foremost, I'm pretty active on Twitter, at AVAppleyard, Uh, pretty much mostly Flyers-related stuff, Uh, I do some kind of European League stuff, especially S.A.L., which is my second favorite league after the NHL, and try and catch quite a lot of those games in person. Um, I can also, I also contribute um, to The Athletic, um, so at The Athletic uh, FHI. Um, me and Charlie O'Connor do a lot of the work at The Athletic Philadelphia, and Charlie's obviously a fantastic writer, so it's really worth subscribing uh, just for that. I mean, I'm someone who a few years ago, if someone would have told me, oh, you have to pay to read content, I would have gone like, no, no way. But um, I really like writing kind of in-depth content that I would be happy to read. And um, Charlie was one of my favorite writers before I joined The Athletic as well. So I feel like you really get some value for money. And plus, I've also started uh, writing a bit again for um, Sons of Penn. Um, um, Ra- Ryan does an excellent job over there. Um, so you should also, also follow Sons of Pen and read their articles as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's me done for shout outs. Right,
1: and I'll I'll say this, and I know Dan's going to say the same thing, but um, the athletic is well worth this. And I was where you know, I admittedly I got it. I guess a year ago, the first time we had Alex on, and I had to catch up on what he was writing about. And I read it every day, not just for hockey, but for you know baseball, football basketball, everything. So it's really, really worth it. And it's not like you're not breaking the bank every month. I don't even know how much it is at this point. I think it's like five, $10, something like that, but it's well, well worth it. And since I'm talking, I'll give my spiel. You could follow me on Twitter at MarkFlagman2Ns. You can follow this show at underscore getting bullied. And uh, obviously, we're part of the Phileas Flyer Podcast Network, listen to uh, the Mother Puckers podcast, which is our all-female hockey podcast. Those girls are absolutely killing it. And now, um, Dan, I'll kick it over to you. you you're going to close this out for the first time ever.
2: Uh, this is exciting. Yeah, um, no, I uh, you, you, you can find me, or Brad Lynch, hopefully, like the uh, perfect season that he had. There you go. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at dsilver eighty eight. And uh, I'll be uh, tweeting all week about hopefully lots of exciting Flyers developments and signings. Hopefully we get Kevin Hayes signed and, and maybe some deals going down at the draft. And uh, you can take a look at the content we've got up at phillyisflyer.com. Um, I posted uh, some of my thoughts on the draft on Twitter with some videos. I'm not sure I'm going to have the time to put together a, uh, a draft article But um, you can check out my uh, Twitter account to see kind of like who are some of the guys that I'm I'm looking at the flyers taking for this what should be a very exciting week. When is development camp? Development camp is in uh, a couple weeks. I think that the five on five tournament I think is the 29th potentially. Um, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to make it this year. Hopefully, but uh, I know. No, I know. We'll uh, we'll have to see. But uh, but that's always exciting.
1: Yeah, I love the development camp. 29th is a Saturday. Also, you yeah. can chronicle my trip to Canada later this week on Twitter. I'm going to get an interesting draft perspective up uh, north of the border and see how crazy they get about it while I'm drunk off Molson's in Toronto. So that'll be fun. Um, so, Al- again, Alex, thank you for joining us. We love having you every time. Hopefully somewhere down the road we'll get you back on here. Dan, it's been a pleasure again. Uh two honest to God, two of the smartest people uh that you would ever want to talk to about this stuff on prospects and the draft and everything like that. Follow them both, read them both, they're both great guys. Um so exciting things ahead. Uh really hoping Kevin Hayes gets signed before the draft, but we'll see. And what's gonna happen on Friday? What are the Flyers gonna do at eleven? Are they gonna keep it? Are they gonna trade it? We will see, but you know, all answers. All questions will be answered by the end of the weekend, and hopefully the Flyers are a better team for it. So until we talk to you next time, everybody, enjoy your life, and let's go Flyers.